the finale. I eventually made it, here with a final dispatch, written sporadically over the last few weeks. Later than I'd hoped, thanks to a combination of avoidance, procrastination, doubt, writer's block and return-to-work fatigue. I felt defeated because I wanted to finish this sooner, which was an unproductive feeling as it definitely didn't help me finish it. Why make it easy when it could be difficult? It's in two parts. The first written when I was in the middle of my first week back at work, easily pleased with routine as a little treat after a year of being at home. The second I wrote later, deep in the middle of many transitions, uncertainty and existential stickiness. I sat to write it in my favourite cafe in London for the first time in over a year. After the painful process of trying to write this, first trying too hard and then not trying at all, I took an exhale when I sat down and it felt right to leave on this note. Which is what I wanted, so I guess I got there in the end. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to share as the archive of both the newsletter and the podcast will remain online. Part 1. Trying to catch a fish by swimming. I'd expected, perhaps with a foolish optimism, that once I sent the last instalment, I would be immediately accosted by an excellent idea to write for my final letter. That something profound would present itself as the perfect subject that I would be excited to write about, desperate even. Something that felt like the ideal way to end a project that for me has been so special and formative. You'll never guess, that did not happen. Once again, I found myself humbled by the fact that things don't always work out the way I want, even if I will them to with all my might. An upsetting realisation, almost every time. I had no ideas, and whenever I tried to write, I felt everything was rubbish and pointless. In other words, I was stuck. Being stuck makes me feel a lot of big feelings. Usually disappointment, upset and frustration which sometimes morphs into anger. A holy trinity of feelings I do not like to feel. In an ideal world, I would have embraced my actualised and higher-minded approach to such a situation. Acknowledge, accept, sit with it and stop trying to fight it, safe in the knowledge that soon, like all feelings, they shall pass. Instead, I did a classically human thing, resistance by means of avoidance. A quote from Jessica Doerr's May Offering. Quote, Applying willpower to an emotion is like trying to catch a fish by swimming. It's not always clear who's doing the running and who the chasing. Here, Will is commonly expressed by being channelled into a tactic to numb or avoid. Willingness, though, looks different. There's patience involved, stillness, allowing, accepting, all that, end quote. Some lessons need to be learned over and over again. This one, of acceptance versus resistance, of the only way out is through, is definitely one that we come up against throughout our lives, likely many times. As I write it down, I feel comforted by my own self-compassionate understanding of this truth. It's healing part of my desire to control things beyond reason, the part that searches for optimization and perfection. I know that I've learned that lesson before and yet here I am learning it again, probably not for the last time and that's all okay. Humans aren't meant to be optimised like tech, despite what the obsessive self-betterment culture might lead us to believe. Maybe progress at least for me, is accepting that not everything, bad habits, uncomfortable feelings, flaws, are problems to be solved but parts of us that we learn to live and work with. Discernment is a vital tool here, of course, 
because I also understand and have experienced intense struggles with mental health. Learning to tell the difference between something that is actively problematic, which you may need help to work with, and something that perhaps requires a little softness, patience, acceptance and community care is a challenge, but one that I know over time feels easier. I suspect some of the ways in which we chase the optimization of the self is what's making us unhappy, because often what we are chasing is unattainable and entirely unrealistic. Shifting the perspective can help alleviate some of the struggle. I've been imagining what it would be like if we could be more compassionate with ourselves and others, accepting the possibilities of growth and evolving, but also the limitations of what we can and can't control, embracing parts of being human. If perfectionism in our work, in our lives, in our relationships and within ourselves was something we tried harder to deconstruct because its suffocating grip causes unnecessary suffering, can we learn to trust that things can be beautiful without that? What if we had more tools to manage our feelings, more ways to find our centres when we stray, more softness with ourselves, less flagellation and more self-soothing? I don't have all the answers, but in my own life I've discovered that some of my biggest struggles almost always revert back to that striving for perfection, which can manifest in a want to control things I have little control over and in an absurd expectation of myself that will always make me feel like I'm failing. It's easy to spend a lot of time trying to become exponentially better at the expense of your happiness, which seems to contradict what drives me towards it in the first place. The desire to live a life that's joyful and full of meaning. I went back to work this week after 13 months of being on the furlough scheme, which at times felt like relentless stagnation. Of course, I'm lucky to have been protected somewhat financially by the scheme, but having to self-motivate a schedule, because if I didn't, there was none, for such a long time as we navigated the most globally uncertain time of most of our lives, had become draining mentally and emotionally. Waking up and having somewhere to be gives me, at least for now, a spring in my step, relieved from the burden of having to make a structure for myself. Being around the city again, commuting, seeing and talking to lots of people every day is making me feel happier and more like myself than I have in a long time. When I walk to the station on the way home and the sun hits at the right angle and the south bank is bathed in amber light, it conjures in me such an irresistible feeling of hope and possibility. Part 2. Transitions A few weeks on, it now feels comically ironic to recount this dull-eyed optimism about the day-to-day return to some semblance of life as we remember it. Days after I wrote about being bathed in amber light as I walked by the river, The weather became almost immediately dreadful, even in typical late spring months. And then there's everything else. Work, unsurprisingly, lost its charm pretty quickly and I also forgot how difficult it is to fit everything in outside of it. I find myself at once over and underwhelmed by life as I look ahead, with curiosity and a splash of dread, to the great unknown that is the rest of this year. Work is arduous because it's quiet. I was desperate, as usual to busy myself as a means of distraction and that has fallen flat as I sit with anxious energy that I could dissociate from a little if I had more to do. In my creative career, I am not sure what lies ahead. I have goals, some small and some more grandiose. There's also a few that are ostentatious, almost humiliating in their ambition and ignorance of probability. The problem is I'm either not sure how to practically move towards them, the big ones, Or in the case of the small ones, I lack the motivation, confidence, time and energy to make progress with them. 
This is something likely to even out slightly as I settle into routine, but it currently weighs on me. My fairly stark change in mood over these past few weeks can probably be traced to a number of things. An unrealistic expectation, my favourite kind, of how simple it would be to adapt to this new world and its rhythms. Somehow familiar to what we knew before, and yet alien because everything, including us, has changed. It's like listening to a remix of a song that you love, thinking that because you know the original so well you can easily sing along. The comfort of familiarity exists in company with, or is even usurped by, the trepidation of uncertainty. Your instinct to sing along to the chorus at the time it usually drops might leave you embarrassed. In the remix, things are similar but also, crucially, different. You might find yourself caught out by an unexpected, elongated instrumental when you expected the relief of the melody or the drama of the bridge. That feels like a good, if a little weak, metaphor for life right now, something that feels like before, yet entirely different. I'm also in the thick of many big transitions at once. My Saturn return, returning back to being social in public and finishing up therapy. I did my last session on Monday. Naturally, I'd hoped for a satisfying, emotionally intense final session, but instead it was quiet and calm, almost uneventful. I was prepared for a dramatic, filmic finale, have you met me? And felt disappointed when that wasn't what happened. It almost felt cold to be so matter-of-fact about the final session, instead of overcome with emotion about the ending, like I was last time I stopped. I realise this has a lot to do with progress. I'm in a much better place and even though I'm not 100% sure I'm doing the right thing, I know I'm going to be okay. This is a good thing. But even good, when it's unexpected, can throw you off a little. Especially when you have your doubts, which ending therapy feels full of. What if I break down tomorrow? What if I'm not ready? Maybe I should wait until things feel more together. How will I know when I feel ready? Is this it? Of course, someone like me, with an anxious disposition and many obsessive-compulsive tendencies, would love nothing more than to know I'm doing the right thing with 100% irrefutable certainty. It really would be nice. Or some reassurance, my drug of choice. I guarantee that this is a smart decision, that my equilibrium is constant enough that any aftershocks I'll be able to handle. Maybe, part of my growth is understanding that what my anxious mind craves in times like this cannot reasonably exist. I think that might be the greatest takeaway from this round of therapy, applicable to almost all the areas of my life that are not exactly where I'd like them to be, that I'm not sure, and that's okay. I'm trying and managing, despite the deep discomfort, to be in the uncertainty. I won't let it prevent me from taking action, or I won't let my discomfort rush me into impulsive behaviour that I might regret afterwards. Discernment feels important here too. It's true that I'm not sure about a lot of things right now, including stopping therapy or even this newsletter. However, after enough contemplation, I knew they were the right thing for me. I hate to say this because it's up there with some of the most infuriating but helpful pieces of advice that you can get, but sitting in the not knowing for long enough eventually, note, I didn't say quickly, helps to clarify what it is you want. From there, even if a hesitancy remains, clarity helps make it easier to make choices with intention. And then I find I'm more likely to take chances that feel scary. For me, that meant ending therapy and saying goodbye to this newsletter. Other parts of my life, I still don't know. What I want my job and career to look like. What I'm going to do about that. What I'm looking for in a relationship after coming to the realisation I'd like to be in one. 
simple but huge, set me up vibes. In regard to these unknowns, I feel many urges to act abruptly. However, I've found that these urges seem to be coming from a want to get out of the discomfort quickly, rather than from one that is more productive in the long run. So, I'll be with the not knowing, and try to feel all the feelings it brings up, of which there are many. Katie Dalebout talked about some great advice a friend gave her that I've never forgotten. Don't try to feel better, get better at feeling. I trust that when the time is right, things will feel clearer. Sometimes you need to get quiet and still to hear yourself properly. Patience is a requirement too. Certainty might not ever exist in the way you want it to, but when you give yourself space, you can hear yourself enough to know when it's the right time to take a chance, make a change, or challenge yourself. A quote from Alexander Chi's book, How to Write an Autobiographical Novel. Quote, Now, when I think of not knowing the future, I think of when, in a yoga class, my teacher had his beginner practice by doing sun salutations with our eyes closed, for as long as we could stand it. What can you trust of what you can't see? He would ask as we moved slowly and then faster, trying not to fall. What can you trust of what you can't see? It feels cliche to thank you all once again for supporting me throughout this project. The process of writing for and sharing with an audience has taught me infinite amounts, as well as propelling me forward as a writer and creative person. These letters have helped me figure out what I want to do and say when I write. A big job because when I began I had no clue. I'm grateful, endlessly so, for the freedom I've had to meander and explore and try different things. You gave me that freedom by not disappearing or expecting anything in particular from me, not complaining when I experimented, stumbled, and on occasion smashed it, I hope. You, by reading, have made me feel like it's possible and worthwhile to write and share. Many writers are quick to self-flagellate and undermine the value of what they are doing or trying to do. I am no exception. Every time I find myself indulging in this overly critical self-awareness as armour, I am grounded and reminded of my more honest desires to write as a way to connect when I think of your email replies or when I bump into one of you and you tell me you enjoy reading or listening. That is priceless and I have no doubt that I'd have done less work or perhaps given up altogether if it were not for all of those moments. Thank you a million times over. You all have a little piece of my heart. I'll always remember and be proud of the journey this newsletter took me on and I'm thrilled that you could be a part of it. Be gentle with yourselves and others. Keep in touch and I hope I have more writing to share with you soon elsewhere. Big love, David.